It ain't that simple, mate. Hello and welcome to It Ain't That Simple, mate, the Bright Hope World podcast where we look at issues around uh, poverty and missions and how we can be of uh, service to the poorest of the poor around the world. Uh, I'm Fraser Scott and with me, Kevin Honore. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Fraser. So today we're, we're carrying on in our journey to, to really understand uh, poverty. Uh, we've looked at uh, defining uh, what poverty is, and we'll come back and just refresh that a little bit. We have looked at uh, who are the poor and where do we find them, and uh, today we're going to look at the experience of being poor. What is it like to be poor? But I just wanted to pause for a little minute and just just remind us all what it is that we're talking about when we talk about poverty, because we don't want to just jump in and apply that economic lens again you know we, we're, we're talking about um, those that are uh, in relational breakdown in their lives that are in that sort of turmoil but uh, as we say when, when we start to look at it in this sense we are uh, applying a bit of an economic filter to this gives it is that about right yeah yeah I mean, yeah, where we're coming from is that poverty is not just economic, it's it's relational and there's some serious breakdown uh, in in all of our relationships. Therefore, uh, you know, with, with God, with ourselves, with, with other people and and with the world around us. And so and so all of us are poor to a large degree, in, in varying degrees. Um, baseline we're you know, when when we're born, we're, you know, the Bible says we're born in sin. We're born separated from God, and and then we've had centuries of of um, you know, distortion to to our relationships. And so, when we come along, we we all come as poor. And of course, that's most obvious in the economic sector, and and, and when you, when you put it into that context, so. We kind of look at at poverty as a broader issue than just just about money. Is is there a danger though for us when we you know we say well, rather than just pointing at the you know the people that we think of in the slums in Africa, and hey they're the poor, you know when we come back and we say well actually we're all poor. Is there a danger that we sort of by saying everyone's poor we we dilute the the concept or we rob it of its meaning? Yeah, I mean that, that that's a, a possible outcome, but but you you just have to go with a with a uh, an understanding, you know, a, a correct baseline understanding. I mean, we we have to go with humility. We 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 have to, and then and and then of course the way we operate is we're we're not going along, you know, to the slum in Africa and saying here's the solution to your problems. We're finding local people who. Who you know are in the process of of talking to their people about the good news and taking the gospel to them, and in the process they're finding and experiencing all levels, all types of poverty, and it, and it shows up in, in lots of different ways. And so it's it's not like we are going with a solution, you know, and a, a checkbook. It's like we're actually going to find people that are making a difference. And then they are telling us what the what the what the solutions are, what, what's the, what the strategies are, and and so yeah, I mean, we would like to think we're not going with any particular agenda in in that sense, um, or certainly not going with any any uh, solutions in our pockets. Um, 
And that makes a big difference in terms of the way you go and then how you engage. Um, and the time for the time you take to engage as well, which is a really important, and we'll come to this later, but it's a really important uh, aspect of, of, you know, developing or helping people develop and, and, um, and setting up sustainable kind of outcomes for them, um, both spiritually and, and economically and, and in every other, at every other level. This, this whole issue that we're talking about today, um, you know, what is it like to be poor? And, you know, I think people are grappling with that. They, they are trying to understand, uh, you know, well-meaning Christians are trying to understand, you know, what is the experience of, of living in Africa, of living in a slum, or, you know, or not just Africa, but, you know, many parts of the world, um, you know, how is that different to poverty here? And, and uh, I, you know, I was talking with some friends about this recently and um, told a story, you know, contrasting my own experience with um, that of a, a friend of mine in India. And, um, you know, I, I grew up in a non-Christian home. My, my family was actually pretty anti-Christian. And so when I became at university uh, a believer, um, they were not too fussed about it. In fact, I came home and uh, my mother had got a book out of the library on cults and how to rescue your child from a cult <laughs> because I was involved with Camps Crusade for Christ, I think I said on an earlier podcast. And they were like, well, how do we, you know, how do we, how do we stage an intervention and get our kid out of this thing? But, you know, they came to accept it. They didn't like it. But, you know, I, I was at university. I carried on studying at university. I had a part time job. I carried on that part time job. My parents begrudgingly accepted and I stayed home. And, and then contrasting that with a, a story, a partner of, of, of ours in India who was in a, uh, a, a strongly Muslim area in India, and her and her family became believers. Um, same sort of thing. You know, the, the, their family was not in favor of that. They were quite angry about it. But the difference in experience, because all of a sudden, this people, the, you know, these people who were in a tight community group were kicked out of their home. They were, you know, her mother was poisoned. Mm. Uh, they were they were driven onto the street with the clothes on their backs. They were hunted by, you know, their extended family yeah, for, for, for long for periods years. Of time. Yeah. And, you know, became, uh, you know, experienced extreme poverty very quickly and for a very long time simply as a result of the the, the, the place they were at and the, the people group they were living amongst. And, you know, I think that's a that's a stark contrast that her family or her and, and I made exactly the same decision. Mm. One results in, you know, parents that are a bit annoyed and the other results in, hey, you're being hunted and, and you know, your life is, is, yeah, is at risk. risk. Yeah. So, and what that really highlights for me is that, uh, you know, those in poverty are sometimes there through no fault of their own. Mm. Uh, they're very quickly... And you know, having done exactly what we would have done in the same circumstances, and and yeah. so I thought, you know, look, it'd be great to share some of the stories I think of, of that we've uh, come across and in, in, in our travels and, and the people that we've met to try and explain what it's like to be poor. But it's probably important for us to preface, yeah, we don't know. We 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 even in Western terms reasonably affluent kind of people. I've never lived on the street. I, how about you? You ever? No, nope, never no? lived on the street. I mean, I, I grew up in a fairly, you know, poor family um, and a farming family, but but quite quickly. I mean, I never went without a meal nope. my whole life. Nor me. Um, 
So I, I have no idea what you know, poorest of the poor economic poverty is. Um, you know, I went to school in my shoe without any shoes and the frost you through know, the snow. Through the <laughs> but um, but it wasn't poverty in in, 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 any, in any sense of the word. No, so it's, it's, I think it's important to to sort of preface that and put that as a disclaimer, but. By the same token, we know a lot of folks who we've have met a lot of people, this. and we've got a lot of good friends who are poor, very poor, economically poor. Um, so, so with some of these people, with the people that you know, and the places that you've been, the communities that you've stepped into, you know, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you go to answer that question? What it's like to be poor? What 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 comes to mind? Uh, yeah, I think there's probably two things I would I would respond with, it. and the, and the first one is just the the sheer powerlessness of people that 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 are you know the poorest of the poor. Um, I, I can't imagine what it's like to wake up in the morning and not uh, think about the day and some of the decisions that I've got to make today. I mean. You know, some for us, for some of us, we would make ten or fifteen or twenty decisions before we even put our feet on the floor in the morning. Where, when you're the poorest of the poor, you don't make a decision about your life for months or or ever for some people because you're at the mercy of everyone else's decision making. Um, You don't choose what you're going to eat today. Somebody's going to put something in your bowl on the street um it must be frightfully disempowering to dehumanizing dehumanizing to live in in that kind of situation so there's no there's no sense of value you're just powerless nobody will listen to you nobody cares what your opinion is nobody ever asks you a question or for your your opinion and, and you know that must be a very lonely place to to live your life um, okay let, let me be a little controversial here when we wade into these environments as westerners and we come and we tell these folks this is what we're going to do this is how we're going to help you we hand them stuff do we make that worse yeah, most often yes we certainly don't we complicate an already you know difficult existence um Often we create a lot of frustration. Um, I mean, there's a point when, when we, it's possible to give some short-term relief, but then they slump back into what it was before. And, and so unless the person who wants to intervene is willing to to get down there on the street with them and sit beside them and sit in their shoes, walk in their shoes, as they say, uh, I would say don't don't go. There's a, there's a really interesting documentary that you can watch for free on YouTube. It's called Poverty Inc. Mm-hmm. And in it, the, it it's, it's really focusing on some of the Western aid and attempts at development that flooded into Haiti after the earthquake. And one of them, you know, fairly famous case study is uh, around Tom's shoes. I don't know if you're familiar with Tom's shoes. You buy a pair of Tom's shoes as a, as a wealthy Westerner and they donate a pair of shoes into, in this case, Haiti. They give shoes away to these people. And you sort of think, well, that sounds really good. That's a, that's a great intervention. And, and in the documentary, they had all these people from Haiti. One, for a start, the, the shoemakers that were all put out of business because they couldn't sell shoes anymore because Tom's Shoes were flooding the market with free shoes. But one thing that really struck me was a guy sort of said, I, I don't just want 
free sh- shoes. That's that's not my life's ambition is to be living off the shoes that people give me. And and all of a sudden, you know, in in that moment, you realize these are just not recipients. These are not just people with handouts saying, please give me free stuff. These people say, I, I don't want to be re- reduced to just be given what you give me that like, no one asked me no, no one, one asked me no yeah. one said what, what do you what do you need what do you want yeah yeah and that, and that's that's the second part of what I was going to say to you is that is that the that, that powerlessness seeps into every part of a person's life um, uh, and so even if if you, you know I used the illustration in one of the earlier podcasts even if you you see you know provide funds to send a kid to school, in the process of doing that, you disempower the parents. Um, so you take the decision away from them as to as to what their role is in their kids' education. Um, so there's, there's just a whole lot of levels of of that, and and you know what, what, probably the thing that the developing world needs least is is well intentioned people going out there and just dumping stuff and and giving stuff away some context has to be created that that, that respects that beggar on the street enough just to ask him what he actually needs and and, and what is well, what is um you know his needs are and associated with that is one of the things that poverty does and it's the th- i think it's the thing that that poverty robs people of the most is their ability or their their ability to dream you know they they just lose that they they get so into survival mode of you know what do i need in the next hour or minute or whatever certainly by the end of the day i need this and i just have to they're not they're not dreaming about anything and and part of that is that they don't see beauty even around them they don't you know so like, I remember we went to Zambia way back in the 80s and and right outside our bedroom in the in the property that we we were living on there was um, there was a, a beautiful hibiscus tree and I mean you know we came from New Zealand we didn't really have a hibiscus tree where we lived and we were looking at this tree and it was about to flower and we went out one day and there wasn't one flower left on it the whole lot had been taken because the guys had eaten it they'd taken them to eat <laughs> they're probably quite nice um, but but it just just reminded me that you know for me that was beauty but for them it was something utilitarian I need to eat so I'll, I'll eat. And, and there's no sense of wonder of what a beautiful color or anything like that it's like yeah yeah I've, I've got to eat right now and uh and what, what can I grab to do that it's like that, that thing I you know when I was at university they talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs now we're getting really academic oh and you know the the sort of self-actualization and all the aesthetic stuff you know is is a, a higher order need you've got all these things to worry about before you hit that yep and yeah I think it's a really interesting observation and, and again a very human thing you don't you don't have the opportunity to just stop and smell the hibiscuses in in this case. And some of the, you know, some poor people, some economically poor people live in beautiful places. Mm. I mean, you know, in Africa, the sun rises and goes down with these beautiful sunsets. They never, ever see it because they're busy with their head down trying to sell that last potato so they can actually feed their family tonight. And the sun goes down and and they never see it. You know, where we tourists drive past and oh, we stop and we we pull out our three thousand dollar cameras and take photos of it, and nobody ever looks at them, and we don't even see the poor guy sitting on the road. 
I guess what's related to that as well, and and you know something that has always struck me about talking to people in poverty is that short term focus. So you know, if if you were just trying to put food on the table for today, you're trying to take your products to market and sell them for today, thinking about saving, thinking about planning for the future, thinking about building resilience into your life. These things are just absent. These are the luxuries of those that have some certainty beyond the next 24 hours. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things we've we've seen, in one, you know, and I particularly think of one of our, one of our partners in Kenya who had a, a loan program there, and and I went to interview a lot of the beneficiaries of that loan. People they they had to join the join the loan program. They had to they had to pay a joining fee, and and so it went on. And one of the things. Uh, that was part of it is that they could they had a compulsory saving component so when they repaid their loan a percentage of it went into their own savings and then they had a voluntary savings component they could put extra in there as well and I remember talking to a group of them and and these were people men and women in their 40s and and you know one of them had had uh, $92 I remember the number for some reason (laughs) In, in in her loan in her savings scheme and I said oh you know that, that's that's uh, that's pretty cool and she said for the first time in my life I have savings mm-hmm. and you could just see the pride kind of just like beaming out of her face because she'd done something in her eyes magnificent and and it it, it gave her a sense of, of pride of dignity and of well, you know, if I get sick, I, I can I can call on that money. I can manage my own affairs. I don't have to go begging for some to someone else to to, to pay my hospital bill or whatever. And, and 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 so it was just like a yeah, you could just see it oozing out of her this 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 fact that she had some some security that she and, and it it changed the way she thought about life and about the future and. And all of that kind of stuff. It's, it's pretty impressive. It reminds me, I, I, you know, at the other end of the scale, I, I met a guy, a pastor in Myanmar, who um, had participated in a loan program. He was growing mushrooms. And he's, he, you know, was talking through a translator, and he said, look, I got my loan. I bought these spores. I've, I've grown the mushrooms. When I sold the mushrooms, I used the money to feed my family. Now, how do I get more mushrooms? Mm-hmm. And the thought of holding back some of those funds to rebuild the business, it, it just had not occurred to him. I mean, it's not that this was a not intelligent man. It was just, well, I've, I've met that immediate need. What do I do next? How do I get back in the cycle? And again, that's where you realise, boy, there are some really subtle um, aspects to how people view the world that uh, you know are very short-term focused and then keep them in poverty because they are not building a future bit by bit. And and that's one of the reasons why it's important to to understand that difference we talked about in, in an earlier podcast the difference between the uh, the daily worker and the and the beggar. Uh, the way you approach you know uh, helping those two different groups of people has to be very different. Very difficult to give a loan to a beggar. Yeah. How they're going to pay it back? How they're going to pay it back and and They've had a lifetime, maybe even more than one generation, 
of just surviving from day to day. So you give them a hundred bucks, it'll be gone by the end of the day because that's what you do. You don't save it till tomorrow because somebody's going to steal it from you overnight. Or if Uncle finds out that, that you've got a hundred dollars, he's going to come visit you, and you won't have a hundred dollars when he leaves. And and so there, you know, there's a whole lot of dynamics that 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 um, have to be factored in when you when you move towards the poor, and especially with the poorest of the poor. So you have to be thinking about you know short term, medium term, and long term solutions. And but, uh, but wouldn't it be easy as a missions agency to come in and see that and give people loans like that, and then they go off and spend all the money, and you sort of think, oh, these people are hopeless. You know, they, oh, you can't help them. Yeah, yeah, of course because it of would the be. wrong kind of strategy. Yeah, wrong strategy, wrong time frames, wrong understanding about the poverty and their context, and and and, and that's why you know. Uh, you need to have a local person on the ground that's that's setting these things up and understands the local dynamics. Um, and so, the, you know, the best loan programs the, that we have uh, are ones where where the you know the the local guys have, have shaped it around the, the the capacity of the people that that, are, that want to join it. And so, you know, for example, nobody can join unless the whole group vouches for them and is willing to. Um, you know, if they can't make their repayments, then the rest of the group will pay. Will will, will make those payments, uh, and in the process, you know, those people will learn discipline and 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 their worldview, their attitude towards how money works, will all change. Um, but that's not going to happen in a you know a, a two-hour training session or or even six months involvement in the program. It, it might take two or three years before some people kind of get it, and and then. Put money aside to to buy the next round of of, uh, of raw product or spores or whatever it is they're doing. Yeah, to to build a little resilience. Hey, we'll take a break there, uh, Kev, and um, and then we'll come back and, and talk about some of the a- other aspects. Maybe things that people wouldn't necessarily realise or understand about the realities of being among the poorest of the poor. We will be right back. It ain't that simple, mate. Is brought to you by. Lamai Coffee. Lamai Coffee is the finest quality organic Arabica coffee from the northern hills of Thailand. We at Bright Hope World import the green beans into New Zealand and we roast them to perfection, then sell them to discerning coffee drinkers. We're all volunteers on the team, so all the profits go back into great community projects in Thailand. And that is why we call it the world's best tasting act of kindness. You can order Lamai Coffee or find out more at lamai.co.nz. It ain't that simple, mate. Okay, welcome back to It Ain't That Simple, mate, the Bright Hope World podcast. Uh, Fraser's got here with Kevin Honore, and we are talking about uh, what it's like to be poor and, and relaying some of the experiences of partners and, and people that we've got to know over the years who have helped us to understand, uh, at least at a, at a bit of a distance, some of the realities of being poor. And, and Kevin, I wanted to... to Talk about some of the some of the hard stuff, and some of the stuff that may not be um, obvious to us. I, I think one of the the challenges of how we in the West um, deal with poverty is we see it as a, a, a homogenous mass. We see 
you know, a, a continent like Africa, and we say there be poverty and, uh, you know, it's a whole bunch of people in desperate situations. And it's easy to forget that these are individuals, that these are um, these are human beings with, with real lives and real problems and, and to some degree, you know, aspirations and talents and, and all the rest of it. So let's, let's break it down to, you know, something a little bit more intimate and, you know, talk about, you know, what is it like for these people that are at an emotional level? You know, what is, what is, what's their heart, you know, when they're having to grapple with extreme poverty every day? I mean, humans are humans wherever they are. And, and even, you know, pe- people that are, uh, I'm going to use this term, trapped in, in poverty or uh, the cycle of poverty, um, they don't want their kids to be stuck in that same thing. In a general way, they don't want to. They, they, they're often quite powerless to do anything about it. So I mean, if you if you've been you know if you're involved in intergenerational poverty, let's say for example, there's you know your family places no value on education, then the chances are you're not going to make your kids go to school, or or certainly if it's going to cost you a lot of money, you're not you're not going to do that. But they don't want their kids to be to be stuck in the same kind of lifestyle they are. Um, and so you know a lot of them want for something else and and one of the things we, we we tend not to see is the huge stress that poverty places on families especially on parents uh, in relation to their kids I, I could take you to, to, to many places where we we hear the stories especially from mothers um, as they as they work you know their fingers to the bone to try and make enough money to pay the school fees that are due and um, uh, and the, you can't take them out of their out of their context either. You know, in a lot of cultures, the fathers, for example, don't see any need to be responsible for their kids going to school. That's the it's a matriarchal society, so that's the responsibility of the mother. Um, and so dad earns a bit of money here and there, and, and just basically drinks that off. And then um, mum has to provide for all the household stuff and the kids and all that. And the stress that goes with that is 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 just huge. So we, we find a lot of traumatised women, um, not necessarily from something that's happened to them, but just the context in which they, they live. Um, uh, and, the, and then the other side of that, you know, I'm thinking of one partnership we we were at in Uganda where we had one of one of our first, probably one of our largest loan programs. Uh, you know, as as our our partners went around, we started visiting and then talking to the to the beneficiaries. the The most notice, noticeable change in the in the in the whole sort of village area was that domestic violence went down. Uh, because these women had little businesses and they started to to run their businesses and they had little, uh, they could send their kids to school. They had food on the table on time. And when Dad came home, uh, there was a candle so he could see what he was eating. And 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 so domestic violence just just dropped right away. And and it made such a difference to to these women because they, you know, the whole stress of life was alleviated. And uh, yeah, it's it's frightfully difficult, and you notice with with women in Africa, and I'm generalising here, but 
but you know they they they're very old by the time they're forty five or fifty yeah. because they they're under so much pressure all the time and 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 we're not talking about having one or two kids we're talking about you know four four five six or seven kids and and it's it's a, just a, a cycle they they can't see a way at the end of it and there's a you know, just just thinking you know at a, at a less extreme end poverty there's a great um, uh, illustration story in, in one of the books that we often refer to, um, a book called Toxic Charity, which you can Google, and again, we'll put a link to that. And it, it talks about something that's quite common, uh, it certainly happens in New Zealand, they're telling the story in the US context, which is, you know, buying Christmas presents for kids in, in poorer neighbourhoods. And again, quite a popular thing to do. And so you, you turn up and um, with, with a few people from your church and you hand out Christmas gifts to these families that don't have very much and you feel really good about it and you feel like you've, you've done something really good and it's certainly well-intentioned. But uh, what the book talks about is is the massive negative impact that has on fathers in, mm-hmm. in that context where you know they already are often feeling like they can't properly provide for their family and their kids. You come along and shame them even further by providing presents for their kids that they can't afford. And you know that that sense of of deficiency mm. and hopelessness is, is disempowerment. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just pull the rug out from underneath them, really. Which, yeah. which is such an important factor, isn't it? You know, in terms of of how you uh, engage with this, is is those uh, those senses of of hopelessness, or you know, the 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 stress, the the um, the emotional toll that poverty takes, that it is so easy to you know, just step on that or, or to ignore it completely, to see it as, as physical problems, economic problems, medical problems to be solved, rather than recognise that, you know, we are full, complete human beings that have an emotional reaction to these things. Yeah, and, and to treat people like that with dignity is, is so important, you know. It's it's just a – I mean, it's so – you imagine going along and, you, you know, you've lost your child or you're a refugee woman and you're in a camp – and you have to go basically go down, you know, every couple of days and sit in a queue for hours and hours to get the basic food for your family. I mean, how does that make you feel? I mean, you know, it's it's just it's just not good enough. Uh, people are. It doesn't matter how poor a person is; they they're a, they're a child of God. But see, that's the bottom line. That's why this is a theological issue, because if you just see people as a as uh, the result of, of a million years of evolution or just an agglomeration of cells, then, well, so what's the difference? You know what I mean? But if you see every one of them as as one of God's children uh, and made in the image of God, then you have to be treating them with dignity and, and respect and and uh, and, um, and 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 not just seeing this as an economic issue. Oh, there's another poor beggar we've we've helped. It, it's like, nah, man, take the next step and get involved in their lives. You know, um, which is a challenge, isn't it? Because you know, one thing we haven't talked about here, or we've touched on uh, perhaps a little bit, is is power and power dynamics. And mm-hmm. you know, we talk a lot about the importance of understanding power dynamics. We'll probably come back to it in a future podcast. That as you engage with the poor, you need to understand that power is at play. That they see it far more keenly than we do because we have it. Mm. But you know, when you, you you go and you engage with with people who live in extreme poverty, 
you have all the power and mm, totally and they will yeah. often ascribe to you even more and and very differential and and, and very humble and 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 you know the the challenge is we can just soak all that up and just increase that sense of power differential and and again just rob people of dignity because we quietly do believe I'm, I'm better, better than, you than are. them yeah, yeah yeah absolutely and and I go back to my you know five star hotel room with an air conditioning unit um, until nine o'clock the next morning and they go back to a, a hovel um, yeah it's it's a I mean, it's 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 very complex, um, but the way we go is so important. You know, it's, I just can't can't say that often enough. Really. And and it starts does it not with our understanding that there but for the grace of God go I. That you know, in my case, if I'd have become a believer in in you know some places in the Middle East or or in Africa or, or even Asia, that I'd be on the street. And, you know, potentially um, at risk of violence. Now, I didn't choose to be, I didn't do anything to be born in New Zealand. What was the chance of you being born in New Zealand in the the 20th century, late 20th century? What was the chance of that, if you just take it as a chance thing? Microscopic. Yeah. I mean, and so, you know, we just have to, we we have to get our heads around this and, and, um, and get our attitudes sorted out. And I think, you know, with all of these issues, poverty and... And even taking it wider into justice and fairness and, and all of that kind of stuff. I have no claim on, on any kind of sense of superiority or, or, or I'm better than them for, for any reason that I, I can, uh, you know, attribute to my own nows or, or brains. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, if we understand that relational nature of poverty, we recognise that the people that we are going to quote-unquote help also have a heck of a lot to teach us. Oh my goodness! And and you know, I, I for one, I'm looking forward to the missionaries that eventually come from Africa and the Middle East to, to come sort us out because uh, I sometimes wonder if we don't need it. Yeah, well, absolutely, we do, and it's it's starting to happen as well, which is great. Um, Let's take a little little sort of tack here, as um, you know, as, as we look at the poor and, and we we try and get our heads around what their life experiences is like. There are, you know, kind of two uh, common views in the space. One is, you know, the poor are miserable. And, you, you know, we see going back to the, the droughts in um, Ethiopia back in the 80s and 90s and the kids with distended bellies and flies in their eyes. And there's that sense of, you know, every waking moment for these people is just absolute misery and they are at the bottom of the pit. And then you, uh, the other extent, you get people say, oh, you know, they're, they're much happier than we are and, and actually, you know, you don't need much to survive and, and you know, the poor are happier than us who are so focused on material wealth and all the rest of that. Where does the truth lie? Are the poor miserable or are the poor actually pretty happy? <laughs> I haven't met too many that are happy that they're poor. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've met quite a few poor people that are quite happy but it's you know largely because they're able to put their poverty their circumstances into into a, a context that is much bigger than them and and because of that they can they can suffer in the circumstances um, it's not like they would choose to to stay there uh, there's a you know, there's it, again it's, it's such there's so many factors in this I mean you know you grow up in, in a place where 
you know, even if you're born into a Christian family, you're you're a minority group and you're subject to to systemic kind of um, um, stigma or or persecution. Um, you know, it, it's it's pretty debilitating that. I mean, when when you're you know not given a, a opportunity to go to education, get into education where your role in society is defined for you, as in the bottom, you know, one or two or three uh, levels, uh, where your father is is a Christian, and because he's a Christian, he works in the sewers, uh, but he's not given any protective gear. He just has to go down there, you know, and wade through the sewerage to unblock it all, and... And you grow up in that environment. I mean, there's not much. These are not hypothetical examples. No, yeah, no, no, these, these are real, real people. These are real people. Uh, imagine a kid growing up, and that's that's what your dad does. How that affects the way you think about about other people, about yourself, about your future. I mean, why would you want to grow up? You know, if if, if that's what life is, and that's what's determined for you by others. So I think I think there's no. Again, there's no, there's no, um, I guess you'd say, you know, simple answer to that. Um, how do you pick yourself up by your bootstraps when you haven't even got any boots? Well said. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, you know, I, I look at this and, and have been asked this question. And, uh, you know, I, I think that faith is a determining factor. If, if you meet a group of people, that are in extreme poverty, those people who are believers, there is certainly a difference. Mm. Uh, you know, and but I think the same is true in the West as well. Um, you know, I know plenty of miserable Westerners, maybe more, um, or maybe they're just more vocal about it. But mm. you know, it, it always strikes me in the places where I go the, that Christians, though they be suffering, um, and perhaps dare I even say it, because they have suffered. They carry with them a, a, a joy and an appreciation of life, and um, you know a, a sense of value for for what they do have that perhaps we don't really carry. Perhaps we don't really value what we have quite to the same extent. And and I certainly wouldn't say they you know they're not suffering or you know it's not a dreadful experience. But my goodness, they appreciate what they have. I think far more so than we do. Yeah, and I think part of it is, I mean, you know, we, we've talked already that, that we do have to put this into a theological context, whether we call it that or not is, is, is beside the point. But, you know, if you go to, to Second Peter, you know, chapter 1, it talks there about a bit of a process where Peter says to them, to your faith, add, and he puts a whole lot of things on there. And one of them is, you know, is, is godliness, and, and one of them is, is uh, long, you know, perseverance and, and, and all of those things. And so, so when you put yourself into, a, into, into a, uh, an eternal context, then this suffering that we're going through is light and momentary, as Paul says. One of our problems in the West is we, we've turned it around, and we've basically said that, this is what life is. Uh, this is it. In we fact, deserve it. We deserve it. And in fact, even when one of the big pastors in America, you know, your best life now. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is not our best life now. Um, our best life is still to come, whether we like to have that pointed out to us or not. 
And so, and so we, we, we have to get the, right, the context right on this. And, and the only way, you know, some of my friends in, in, in where, they, where they grew up in a minority context can survive and, and can pass on anything to their kids is, is, to, is to constantly be reminding themselves of the context, of the eternal context in which they live. And then anything becomes doable, livable. The responsibility for us in the West that do have material resources is a part of part of our obligation is to engage with at least our Christian brothers and sisters in, the, in that environment because we've been given this for a purpose and then it's not our own purpose, not for our own benefit. Um, have we forgotten that a little bit? Oh, totally we have. And, and, and even what we do do, uh, and, and this is where I'll, I'll, I'm going to be critical of some some agencies, is that we've we've just keep re- lowering the bar in, in terms of how much we we need to give to make a difference, you know. And I'm sorry, a dollar a day this is not going to change the world, all right? So there, get that, whoever you are. <laughs> a dollar a day, even two dollars a day. That's podcasted, Bright Hope World, attention, Kevin, honorary <laughs> complaints department. But you know, at the end of the day, it's going to cost us a lot. Uh, if 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 what Paul wrote in Corinthians is true, that you know the aim is equality. You know, the, we we have a resource. God's given it to us for a purpose, and it's not to keep for ourselves; it's to give away. And I, look, I, I do think, Kevin, that part of the issue, part of the ease with which we can ignore global poverty is by seeing it as this big, unmanageable, unaddressable lump that is just beyond us. And we forget that these are wonderful, funny, uh, you know, exciting, interesting individuals, all of whom have a life, have a story, have a family. And many of those poorest of the poor are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Absolutely. And, and, and they're there because they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. And how do you, how do you say no to your brother? I mean, this guy's related to me more closely than my 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 pagan brothers and sisters who live down the street from me uh, and who were born in my family. Uh, that's the reality if we see this from a kingdom point of view. So, yeah. it's, it's one of the things that we, we perhaps didn't make uh, clear enough last time when we talked about who are the poor is increasingly the poor are Christians. Even in poor places, if you are Christian, that is in all likelihood going to you know, worsen your certainly the external aspects of of poverty because you know this is the most persecuted group in the world by far, and in many of the places that we work, they come under increasing pressure and increasing persecution by virtue of their pay, uh, faith. Yeah. So yeah. we have to acknowledge that you know we have a greater responsibility and there is a greater need in terms of our brothers and sisters in Christ because they're coming under the gun. Well, so there you have it. That's that's a little bit from us on uh, what it is like to be poor. Let me, let me say again that this is, you know, this is not something that we can do justice in 45 minutes or or so, but you know it's important to remember that we are dealing with real people who have real experiences, and you know we have to be mindful of that as we pray for the people that are that are out there, as we look to serve the people that are out there, as we look to give sacrificially to the people that are out there, and it is incumbent upon believers and, and the church to just not let this slide to to realize how challenging it is, and. Um, you know how unpleasant it is to to live on the extremes of society in, in poverty. 
So, uh, yeah, please do not forget. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the complaints department, but also comments, feedback and questions, do um, send them in to us, podcast at Bright Hope World. We'd love to get your feedback and comments. Uh, on our next episode, we will we'll move away from some of the definitional stuff and uh, look to um, begin to focus on what actually trying to help the poor looks like. We'll be focusing on how you partner with the poor to help, which will, um, I, I think, be quite an interesting discussion. And, uh, yeah, we'll start to, to crack the egg a little bit and see how you make a difference in this space. So, Kevin, any final comments before we close off? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one thing to... To, to give like we've talked about but the, the trick is for us is, is to give strategically in ways that make a real difference and, and that's why you know it's good that we can move on to the next session uh, because like I said earlier you know well-meaning do-gooders traipsing around the world with pockets full of money handing it out ain't what we're talking about no indeed well said well this has been It Ain't That Simple Mate the Bright Hope World podcast thanks for joining us Uh, We hope this has been valuable and informative for you, and we look forward to joining with you next time. I'm Fraser Scott with Kevin Honore. Thank you. We'll see you next time.